Ladies and gentlemen, you're about to experience the Gut Check Project, talking science, health, and innovation that you can actually use. But this isn't just another health show. We're here to have fun and make your time enjoyable. Well, while you are enjoying yourself, know that even though the GCP covers some health topics with healthcare pros, we are not your doctors. So use our show to entertain your mind and not for medical advice. And now, here are your hosts of the Gut Check Project, Dr. Ken Brown and Eric Rieger. Hello, Gut Check Project fans and KBMD Health family. It's now time for episode number 86. I'm Eric Rieger with that guy over there, Kenneth Brown. But in between us, we have an awesome guest today. This is Ryan Birdman Parrot. And Ken, why don't you tell us why we have the Birdman on the show? All right. So Ryan Birdman Parrot, um, I don't even give his bio at all because his story speaks for itself. Short of it is uh, an incredible former service member, a Navy SEAL, thank you for your service. Yes. And I have been going to a sauna slash staring at the cold plunge uh, all the time, trying to find the guts to jump in there. And uh, the manager of the place kept telling me about these incredible Navy SEALs that are coming there to get into the cold plunge to train because they're doing this human performance project. And she kept telling me all about that, calling me a wimp and a bunch of other names about why I'm not doing the <laughs> cold plunge like these guys were. And then just a few days ago, I walked in and she's like, that's the guy I'm talking about. And I went, oh shit. And I'm like, yeah, so what are you doing? And then you just kind of mumbled off. He's like, ah, seven marathons, seven continents, seven base jumps. I'm like, what? Hold on a second what are you guys doing? And so I'm like, can you please just come and talk about this? Because one of the things that they're doing, they're doing some incredible work to help veterans. And we're going to get into this. His story is amazing. Uh, a Navy SEAL. And the stuff that they're going to do is to raise awareness, to raise some funding, to help veterans uh, with a lot of things. Performance, execution, mental health. So that's... Definitely little tip of the iceberg. So, Ryan, can you just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about how you got here? Yeah. So, thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. Uh, I got here from Apple Maps today. So, <laughs> drove past a couple times, found it. So, it's good. We are doing this. Uh, this is this is a pretty sketchy place to have a totally. uh, studio. So, so, where are we? No, it's good. <laughs> so, you know, the interesting thing. So, I grew up in Detroit, Michigan. Um, I don't sound like I have an accent from Texas, so people always ask. But, um, yeah, for me, life was interesting as a young kid. Had no direction, just was going nowhere in life. And there was a teacher in my sophomore year of high school who was a Marine in Vietnam. And he talked about there was only one thing better than the Marine Corps, and that's the U.S. Navy SEALs. And, of course, I'm like, well, what is that? And I stayed to her class, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I want to be that. Mr. Barnes, I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. And he started laughing at me. He's like, no, 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 You're not even passing my class, and this is an elective. <laughs> How the hell are you going to pass Navy SEAL training? So ultimately, he was right. I mean, it's just talk is talk. But the next day I showed up, and there was this Reader's Digest magazine, talk of making of American warrior. And it was this Marine who went into the SEAL teams to see if he had what it takes to survive. And I was like, that is everything that I wanted. And so I was hooked. Um, and it was... Shortly thereafter, 9-11 happened, and Whoa. that was the catalyst. It was the catalyst of, I know that I can't change what just happened, um, but at least maybe I can go do something to make sure this doesn't happen again. 
Um, and I went in with this, the vengeance, you know, like most did, you know, I want to go kill bad guys because of what they did for us. They murdered almost 3000 of our people. It's time. And that's not a good way to go into war as I would find out later on in my operational career. Um, but it, at least it was enough of a kickstarter for me to go. And I found myself at 19 years old, accepted into SEAL training by 20, a four, uh, full fledged Navy SEAL and operational team. Navy SEAL operator can't legally drink a beer in America. <laughs> yeah. Pretty crazy. And so, you know, it's just usually people in college are going death by PowerPoint and I'm legitimately learning death by trial. And it's just like this craziness seeing these superhuman just, I mean, some of them are truly freaks of nature, just the athletics, the performance. And you can't just keep up. You have to marry up. You have to be exactly at their level. And so whatever it is, you just got to find it within and you got to go for it. And can I pause you right there? Cause yeah. there was a big step. It was high school teacher made a huge difference in your life. Yeah. And then you're a Navy SEAL. Like, a, were your parents military? Were they super, like, I mean, were you just, like, crushing it? Were you, like, killer in sports? And you're, like, everybody kept saying, you need to do something completely extreme. And you're, like, it's the SEALs. It's, it's been my calling. I'm None of the above. <laughs> None of the above. No parents, family. I mean, my grandfather served in World War II, both of them. And that was common, right? For all of us, we have some lineage back in the day of service. Um, but no parents, no military. I was threatened when I was younger that I was going to military school because I was failing every subject. Um, and then sports, yeah, I was pretty athletic, but nothing where anybody would be looking at me. So for me, it was literally just heading to the end of the road, which would have been high school. Mm -hmm. And from there... They even threatened me in high school that they were going to release me on a worker's release to go work in the automotive industry because I wasn't panning in school. So legitimately, see ya. I mean, and that didn't do anything. So, but that just shows you, you know, what 9-11 does for, for everybody in this country because it catapulted me from legitimately seeing the end of my life right before my very own eyes as far as I'm going nowhere to being on an operational elite military team and now going through all this, I can see like, there's nothing you can't accomplish. So it's pretty cool. That's amazing. Yeah. Definitely. So you, uh, you said by 19, you were accepted into SEAL school, correct? And then at that point in time, you go to the training and then you get assigned to a team. Is that how that works? Correct. So you start out, you had to strike for it in the day, back in the day. So you'd raise your hand when they asked who wanted to go into special operations. Mm -hmm. And this is the Navy boot camp. And then you had to fulfill an A school after boot camp. So in in case you failed out of SEAL training, mm -hmm. you at least had something to fall back into. So I chose aviation ordinance, which is loading the bombs on the bottom of jets so fighter pilots could take off. And I chose that school because, one, it said bombs. So that seemed pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> Two, it didn't need the highest level of education to get into that program. And then three, and the most important one, was only four weeks. It was like one of the shortest schools that gotcha. Navy had. So I was like, this sounds pretty good. So my career was, you know, you go through boot camp in Chicago, then you move to Pensacola, Florida, and then San Diego, California. So I lived in Florida and California for my military career. You know, I'm not complaining. No, no, I imagine not. And so once, uh, once you finished uh, SEAL school, then you're assigned. And then how long did you serve as a Navy SEAL? So you get to BUDS, and BUDS is six months. Mm -hmm. And if you graduate that, you move on to SQT, SEAL qualification training. That's another six months. And then after that, you have a battery of schools that you'll go to. You go to jump school, um, and then you go to Kodiak, Alaska for cold weather survival training. 
Ugh. And so, yeah, it's pretty cold. That's <laughs> not his cup of tea. Not your jam. Oh, that's right. There's like, this yeah, is this plunge. is like, yeah, I've, I've stared at that cold plunge. The, the cold plunge in a very warm, controlled spa music environment. <laughs> <laughs> and I finally went in with my kids last week, which is when we saw you the day after. Um, it, go ahead and finish up that because I want to like backtrack to a couple small things, which is. Oh, we went through Bud six months, and then, you know, I think there was a hell week there a little bit, and then, of course, they threw us up into Kodiak, Alaska to do the cold training, and then, like, you're just, like, glossing over shit that would completely destroy me, like, all of it. I'll dig in. I'll dig in, and I'll, I'll get in the trenches with you. So, yeah, you do finish with SEAL training, though, and all this, and then you get to a team, but backtracking, so Bud's is, we the first, there's three phases, right? So, first phase is basically weed out the week. So it's going to kick your ass every which way. And there's something for everybody. So there's an opportunity for you to shine in a certain environment because every single class, there's one person that shines in every environment. Mm -hmm. And in every evolution, there's always something that crushes you, whether it's the cold or the long swims. I mean, we do two nautical mile ocean swims with current every week. We do four oh. mile timed run in soft sand and boots. Oh, courses galore. Um, you do log PT for hours on end with 200, 300 pound logs over your head. They have bigger logs too for remediation. You're always sandy. It's grinding your skin away. You got an infection. You got cellulitis. And it's just day after day after day. And you're watching people quit and you're just still standing there. And remember, nobody cares if you're crying or if you're, if you're having a bad day because it's a voluntary program. So it's, it's miserable to start if you're not committed. But it was never miserable for me. Now, I'm not going to say that I showed up to Bud's and I knew I was going to make it through. No clue. But I knew that I, I wanted to be there. Mm -hmm. And that was the, the differentiator between the guys that left and me is I'll do whatever it takes. And because I was so interested in it, it actually became fun. And so most of the evolutions were different. Yes, they become monotonous when you have to do you know the swims and the runs. Those are monotonous. But if you're an athlete, they can become routine. But all the other evolutions like drown proofing and underwater knot tying and life saving and the 50 meter underwater swim, all these things, they're different. And so it's fun. It's like, okay. And what it teaches you, I think the biggest value of SEAL training, it teaches you to live in the moment. Hmm. Most importantly, because it's not about focusing on, oh, okay, I got to get four weeks into SEAL training in order to get to hell wake. It's about focusing on this evolution, the 50 meter underwater swim right here and now and not moving past that. That's what I'm going to focus on right now because this is the evolution that makes or breaks me. So really pauses you into being present. The other beauty of it was when I started in SEAL training, cell phones were just becoming a thing. Mm -hmm. No social media. You, I think you had to be in college in order to get a Facebook account at the time. Who cared about social media back then? Nobody that I knew. So it's like, it was, I'm gonna call on collect or I'm gonna call the pay phone to my parents when I can, didn't have a cell phone. And it was just hang out for the day, eat, get my ass kicked every single day. Proud of myself that I finished the day and then go to bed and wake up and just do it all over. So that's SEAL training in the first part. You get to Hell Week and Hell Week is legitimately, it's like the most annihilation week in the United States military. Like there's nothing harder. Now I haven't been through all the other trainings, but I can tell you for certain that the one thing I say is it doesn't matter who thinks whatever special forces group is better than the other. They're all fantastic. I've got brothers on all special forces groups in the world. Um, the difference between what we do though, is we do a lot of water stuff and water is incredibly unforgiving and that's our primary thing. So 
that makes it brutal. And not only is it hard because there's currents and there's waves and there's all kinds of things that you think are shark, even though they could be guppies and minnows, mm-hmm. but it's, it's cold and cold crushes you too. Yeah. Makes everything harder. And so it's just v- mother nature sucks sometimes, you know, it's just what it is. Hell week is five and a half days long. You're cold, you're wet, you're tired, you're miserable. It fucking blows. Okay. And there's nothing you can do about it, but just continue to move forward. And so how I many a, hours sleep are you getting in that five days? You don't get sleep. They say you get sleep. That's bull. The absolute <laughs> bull. Okay. So there's, you know, I guess they got to put something on some scientific paper to say like, you know, just to help these guys out, like, three hours of sleep one day or whatever. But seriously, I mean, the second that you like get around a fire to lay down and try to warm yourself up, the instructor will get on the mic and be like, all right, guys. So as long as you guys keep your eyes closed, you guys get to sleep. One person opens their eyes, game over. So everybody closes their eyes and they walk over with a foghorn to an officer and they put it in his ear and they honk it and he goes, ah, and then we're hitting the drink again. So there's no sleep. You can try to fall asleep while you're doing an evolution. You think you're sleeping, but then you wake up really quickly and you're like, oh, so you never get a cheat. You never achieve sleep. So you just go, 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 go. And quite frankly, you don't want to, because if you wake up and you see Bud students are in white shirts uh-huh. and then our camis. SEAL instructors are in blue shirts with gold writing. If you wake up and you see a blue shirt standing over you, it, it's like a, a bomb going off underneath you. It's just you're, you get ex- you freak out and you want to run, and most guys, you'll see it. It's hilarious. They try to fall asleep, and then the guy again scares them, and then they just bolt. So it's crazy. But you see, you start to hallucinate. That's the craziest thing is, like, I hate spiders. So, yes, the cat's out of the bag. If you mess with me and you put a spider anywhere near me, I will hose you down. So, absolutely not. But I thought there were spiders crawling on my paddle as we're paddling in the water at night. Oh, jeez. And guys saw locomotives driving across the water. It's just all kinds of stuff that you, you go through. By day four, you really start to see this kind of stuff. And by day five, you're completely delirious. You have really no more strength. And that's the interesting thing is... When you're in day five, you are truly running on muscle memory. And so your brain is telling your body to continue to do what it was doing. And you have no concept of what it is. So they'll tell you to stop and you didn't realize you were even moving. Or they'll tell you to go and you didn't realize that you were paused for a second. It's just the, the, these, these feelings, these, it's just so weird. Now, you have, you're not allowed to wear a watch. So you have no concept of time other than the sun going up, coming down. That's the only thing. You know that we eat every six hours. You're burning twenty to 25,000 calories a day oh, in oh Hell Week. So you eat every six hours. You've got a new instructor <clears throat> shift coming in every eight hours, so you got three shifts. And, of course, they take all the asshole instructors and put them on <laughs> the night shift. And they're coming off the bus at night wearing, you know, Viking helmets, drinking Red Bull. And <laughs> can you guys go easier, easy on us today? I'm a little tired. And you can't go up to the instructor, hey, can I get a time hack real quick? Just want to check out, see where I'm at in training. And yeah, okay, cool. No. So it's, the, and they, the, here's another thing is the instructors are professional. They don't have to you know, yell at you and scream at you. And because the training is so brutal that it remediates you itself. Yeah. Like you just go ahead and go over there under that log real quick. Thank you. That's how an instructor could talk to you. And then. An hour later, being under this wet, soaked log that's got sand all over it and just pushing it down, I'd rather get yelled at any day of the week. It was just like, okay, this physical activity is breaking me down. So by day five, you're just running on fumes. And that was the coolest thing is to know that we had come down to just a handful of people. I mean, Mm -hmm. really, it was 
I think we started with 186 roughly, and we were down uh, between 20 and 30 guys at the uh, end of Hell Week. Wow. And so to see that those guys just, it's like, you can't break us. So a class starts with how many? Usually? Uh, roughly 200. Whoa. See, he said we went from 180 down to 20. That so, is crazy. Yeah. 20 to 30, yeah. That's nuts. But other than that, it's pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Walk in the park. Good recruiting tool. Go Navy. One eight hundred Navy. So, but now, uh, just deciding on the instructors when they decided they want to be instructor, they actually go through the training with some type of explanation on why certain steps are happening before they actually become instructors themselves, don't they? They, they almost have to do it all over again, don't they? No, no, they don't have to go through Never mind. training. And it, I mean, so they'll go through an instructional course, an instructor course mm -hmm. on what to do, and they fall in suit with, you know, so they're a junior instructor and there's, you know, lead instructors and all that. But ultimately, everybody will do their time. So you'll be operational on a team for mm -hmm. a while, and then you have to go pay your dues and go to what we call shore duty. So we do sea duty, which is deployments, and shore duty, which is back home. It's to give some relief for the families, let their loved one be home more. Mm -hmm. And then it's two to three year billet where they're an instructor at some location, buds being one of them, where you're either instructing students or you're instructing SEALs or whatever it may be. Um, so that's really cool. Um, I actually was an instructor for several hell weeks and really, Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so it wasn't like you volunteered. Like they're like, you're going to go do this and then you just go and do so it. So for hell week, they'll pull in from others. And so I was an instructor in advanced training command, which was doing something completely different, but they plus up for hell week cause they just need it. I mean, that's oh. brutal to run as an instructor cadre. So they need more. So they'll call in and that's a volunteer thing. Like, Hey, can you work the hell week? And we're like, yeah, cool. So you get in there and of course everybody's just like, Oh, I can't wait to redemption's coming boys and then you get there and you're like oh god i feel so bad for them because oh, they're geez. thinking that we hate every one of those students we're thinking god i i don't miss being that right now but i have a heart for you because it is brutal so yeah. you can choose on how you want to do it some guys just want to be dicks fine we need that too yeah it has to be hard i'm not about cutting a standard um i never will be i think that even though what i know today is that seal training how weak the physicality of it breaks your body down to um, and not in a good way. It breaks you to where you have to recover and you don't recover and they don't teach that. That's a problem, but I would never change that. I think that you have to break these cats down because they have to prove that they're worth their weight in gold for war. You just have, they have to do a better job on the back end of that, of rebooting the guys and truly getting them back to homeostasis. That's a huge piece. Do you think that some of that might be just simply because not only in the military, but I mean, on this show, Ken and I often talk about things that are just neglected by traditional medicine, about what people just simply don't know nutritionally. You talk about sleep deprivation. I totally believe that you know that that element of the training is completely necessary. However, the recovery is going to have to occur in order for that person to be optimized and be the best person and seal that they could be later on. So how does one go about introducing that kind of sweeping change in a military setting, I can imagine it would only be that much more difficult than it is in a public setting. It's tough. I mean, so like you said, it becomes industry standard. This is the way we go about it. So we've been doing it for the last 40, 50 years, whatever. Mm -hmm. So we're not changing it. And I understand how, how it works because I've been in it and I don't agree with it. I love everything about SEAL training. I love that it's hard. I love that the standard is high and that you have to truly break that threshold in order to become part of it. So I would never change a thing about that. Looking at after that, though, is what of the reboot phase. You get a week off after Hell Week, and mm -hmm. it's not off. It's called Walk Week. And so the difference is you're not getting hammered. 
and you get to wear tennis shoes instead of boots and you walk everywhere instead of run or mm-hmm. shuffle. So it alleviates some of that pressure, but it's not doing it justice. Like I'm talking about, sure, your body will recover over time by not putting that demand on it. We're talking in- internally. Like, let's get good food in their systems now. Let's start to talk about real sleep. And I'm not talking about during SEAL training. I'm talking about afterwards. There's got to be a programmatic phase of human performance where guys can understand, like, truly, I'm going to be hypervigilant on war and on combat. How do I get sleep where I can? What's the way I can do it effectively and organically or at least, you know, homeopathically? Um, What are the things that I need to supplement with? Because that goes in industry standard, right? Like, what are you taking? Oh, you're taking that? You like it? Yeah, dude, it's awesome. Check. I'm going to go get that. Yeah. You don't realize, oh, there's nothing but garbage in this thing. Mm-hmm. Fillers and additives. And where's the actual real deal stuff in there? But everybody else is doing it, so I'm going to do it too. And so it's things have changed since I've been in. They've definitely begotten, like, the athletes that are coming in that are uh, still candidates today are far better athletes than we were. Uh, the standard has stayed the same, so I understand. So at least we still got that going. Um and they're trying really hard now because of 20 years of war in two different theaters, all the post-traumatic, all the TBIs, all the injuries, maybe CTE that they're still discovering, um, and the suicide rate. Now they're starting to get really, really serious about human performance. Yeah. So yeah. I love that. We're in a really good place right now, and I just can't wait to see what the advancements, and that's hopefully what our future project will help with. I definitely want to get into that. I want to ask one last question about the history just because I'm so intrigued about this process. You make it through Hell Week. And then you earn, you earn the, the right for a ceremony and stuff. Do they bring the family in? Is this like a big celebration where you pull up and it's, I'm, I'm trying to imagine like a graduation thing. Is that, I mean, cause that would only make sense that you're working towards something. It's human nature. I can do this, live in the moment here because I know that the moment's going to end mm-hmm. and it's, it, it's human nature to be, you have earned it. We've done that with every other phase of schooling, of work. It's, oh, yay, you've got your thing. So do they have like a big ceremony? So they have a few different things. I think, so they have ceremonies and then they have private ceremonies. So how week graduation is private just for us and the cadre which is awesome. It's just the way it needs to be. No cameras, except there's one photographer. It's a military photographer that takes pictures. And that's super cool. And I'll, I'll tell you that in a second. And then, so, well, let me just break it down. So when you get done with Hell Week, you have no clue. Mm-hmm. At this point, you're just like, I think it's Friday. I have no clue. <laughs> Praying that I am like not one day off because that's bad. Either way, like, I don't care if I went six days and it, I thought it was five. I don't want to, or it's four days. You know that deal. Like, have you ever been on a run where you're like, I gotta, I gotta be at least at three miles in and you look at it's 1.2 and you're like, Oh God, really? It just mentally screws with you. So you have no clue. And then we're running back to the beach and then all of a sudden they tell us to interlock arms and we're about to walk in the water and get surf tortured again. This is day five and a half. We don't have any clue. And it's not five days. It's five and a half days. Right. Mm-hmm. So we're just like, you know, it's funny. One of my buddies actually says to Bessie, he goes, there's two different guys that show up to buds. There's the guys who want to wear the tridents and call themselves Navy SEALs and, you know, parade themselves around. Those are the guys who quit first. But the guys that show up and said, I know you're going to just rape me, so let's just get it on. It's crazy, right? And no offense to the word, but it was just, it's true. Like, I know this is going to be miserable. Let's go. I got it. You know, bring it. And that's true because... I'm the mascot of the SEAL teams, right? I'm the funny, go-lucky surfer type snake skateboarder where most dudes are just like, 
Let's Jocko go. kind of people. Yeah, I mean this. Yeah, Jocko's definitely tip, tip, tip shape. He's uh, he's always been that way, but most guys are just like, got it. No matter what you throw at somebody, they'll just say, got it. Check next. That's it. Nice. So it's cool. So another scenario um, is when you graduate. Hel- so we interlock arms. We go to face the ocean. We're getting ready to walk in. They tell us about face, and there's nobody there. Just an American flag stuck in the ground, mm. floating. And that's immediately when I got my why. It had nothing to do with anything other than that flag. That's what they wanted to signify to us is like, you have any idea how many people have died and this has been draped over their casket for us. This is why we do it. It's not for ceremony. It's not for medals and ribbons and tridents and all that stuff. It's for this. That's what they showcased. And then behind that, there's this big sand berm and all the instructors come running up from behind it. It was timed perfectly. You're just like... Whoa. And then they come out and you're like, oh my God. And then everybody's standing there. And then the commanding officer Smathers at the time, legend seal gets on the megaphone and he goes, congratulations to you future Navy seals. Hell we can secure. Oh, that's awesome. And you like, you want to run and jump and you're just like, okay, I'm gonna give you a hug. (laughs) (laughs) So it was just unbelievable. And you go through med checks and then, Got to call my parents, which was the most amazing thing to say. Hey, like, thanks for everything because your son's going to be a Navy SEAL and made it. Really? Yeah. It was, like, absolutely rewarding. To, that wasn't my focal point in my life at that point. Is I want to prom. I made a promise to myself that I was not going to quit on myself. And I was doing that in, uh, in return for the favor of my parents continually raising me, even though I failed them several times. Hmm. This was my gift to them to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go in. I'm going to go all in on this one. And I'm going to produce. And so that was that to them. You don't get a Trident or anything else when you graduate that. You get a brown shirt. You wear a white shirt in the military um, under your camis and buds, but you get a brown shirt. I'm talking a $5 brown shirt. But when you walk around the base and you see all the white shirts there and you have a brown shirt on, you're the Hell Week survivor. Mm -hmm. So you're looked at as royalty. And it's just like this $5 brown shirt makes you feel so badass and it's just, so that's a little ceremony, right? That's, that's, here's your brown shirt. So cool. Check next. And that's it. So now we're rocking brown Check shirts. Check next. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. I love that phrase. Check next. And so then you're rocking the brown shirt. And then when you graduate all a SEAL training, you have a ceremony where parents, family members get to come in and watch you walk across the grinder. You graduate, you get your bud certificate, and that's it. You don't get a trident. Supposedly you're considered a SEAL. You're not, you know, really. You just get your certificate. That means I completed basic underwater demolition seal training. That's it. Excuse me. Then you move over to SQT and you go through that, which is way cooler. It's, you know, it's a a gentleman's course. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot that's involved in just the technical side. And it's just base, base level stuff. You're not doing anything high, high speed. You're just doing the baselines of what it is to be an operator in different facets. And that's six months. And when you get done with that, you graduate and you get your trident. That's so your Navy SEAL trident. It's your medallion, your pin, your wear. Um, they used to call it the Budweiser back in the day. Some still do. And that now means you are a Navy SEAL. And then you get your orders to your team. And I got SEAL Team 7. And I showed up to Alpha Platoon. And they took my trident right away. <laughs> cool. Thanks. Check next. Alpha Platoon. Is that is there a relevance to the different platoons that you get assigned to? Uh, they choose you. So they do like an NFL draft. You're kidding. Mm-hmm. And so that's, they say, one of the biggest things, like, 
you've heard the term, the only easy day was yesterday. And that's true. They want to make it harder. And so the times get faster. So you have to be harder every day. Um, but the big thing for us is we always say that you're at it. You're everything starts day one, right? So your attitude and everything that you do, your performance carries with you through your career starting day one. And it truly does because they put ear, uh, we do pure evals. So all the students have to write evals on like names and placement on how they're liked by the class, by the individual. And they, so that all gets uh, put together and it stays in your records. And then that goes everywhere you go. So when you're getting to a command a year and a half later, a year later, they can look at this and see how you're tracking. And so then they put it up on the wall. And then, of course, the higher head shed at the command looks at it and says, okay, we want this guy. And so it's an NFL draft. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, of course, they chose me because I'm handsome. Yeah. <laughs> you know, beauty goes a long way. I know. I know. So what is, how many SEAL team uh SEAL team numbers are there? You said seven was the one that you were assigned to. I, I don't know the... So there's essentially seven, there's 10 SEAL teams, but there's not a SEAL team nine. It's okay. just, you know, the odd number of teams are on the West Coast, the even number of teams are on the East Coast. Um, and every time they create one on one coast, they create another on the other coast. Mm -hmm. So we're just fall in succession. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's a team in Hawaii. So it equals to be about 10 teams. Okay. Yep. What happened? What, why is there no nine? Because they haven't created it yet. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the next one would be because they've already created that many teams on the uh, East Coast. East Coast, I got you. West Coast will be next. The next one up is nine. Okay. Yeah. If they do that. I got you. We have this problem with getting people to graduate Hell Week, though. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it seems to not change. They've tried everything under the sun. They make a movie. And See, I used to always they joke. They make a movie. So, <laughs> <laughs> Eric... Eric makes fun of me of how much of a wimp I am. And I used to always joke, I'm like, I could be a Navy SEAL if it was just in the Caribbean. Now it doesn't <laughs> matter. Like, just, it doesn't matter if it's warm water or not. They're still beating the shit out of you. Like, yeah. you're still, like, okay, I could be a Navy SEAL if it's in the Caribbean. I get to sleep eight hours a night and uh, I get to eat. I got to stay to Ritz Carlton, and then I could definitely be a Navy SEAL. This I is mean. where you get to ask Ken who what his impersonation is, because I don't know what that voice. No, was. that wasn't a voice. That was just my. That was my interview when I. It almost sounded like you were doing an Obama, but really? I wasn't really sure. That was an Obama. <laughs> Didn't know I could do that one. All right, I'll work on it. <laughs> He's hiding in there somewhere. Uh, that's insane. Yeah, it is. So that's. The first phase of how weight or seal training and then you move into after you graduate that then you go into second phase which is dive phase you'll spend 36 34 to 36 hours underwater during that two-month period learning open and closed circuit diving mm. you'll do dive physics dive medicine it's just really interesting you learn navigation offset navigation it's really cool um, so you do a lot of stuff with that just learn how to be on the uh, underwater side of things and then you take it to third phase after you graduate they call pool competency um competency which is or short pool comp which is the next hell week and so uh -oh. instead of it being like a five days of just crush you day in and day out now it's more technical where you have to make it count and you have to make it count medically because you know you screw up underwater and you're on compressed air bolt to the surface you get get you know AGE arterial gas embolism yeah. the bends so everything counts now for real it's not just like pass fail now it's like there's certain consequences to your actions. Mm -hmm. And so you really, it's more technical. So once you get past pool comp and you graduate or you pass that, you pretty much know you're going to go through. 
you get the third phase, which is all tactics. It's all like assaults and land warfare and go out to the rock at San Clemente Island and you do a full mission profile and just culminates with everything, you know, at the last minute. So you got to do basically everything, the tricks of the trade uh, that SEALs do in a full battery of tests. And then your next week is uh, grad week. So you come back to San Diego, do a couple fun runs with the commanding officer. It's nice and chill. You're getting everything prepped. You're doing processing out to get ready to go to uh, SQT. It's gnarly. And then they basically, you graduate and they kick your ass off base because you don't have a home anymore. And they're like, okay, cool. Now here's some uh, allowance. You got to go move out in town. So purely a training command. Yeah. So it's like, oh, cool. So I'm 20. I get paid now to live in San Diego. I'm now in this awesome training course that's for adults now. We're doing cool stuff. We get to blow stuff up, shoot guns, skydive, dive in the water. I mean, could you ask for anything more? I was printing photos at Walgreens two years <laughs> prior, like going nowhere, you know? So it's that's my fun resume. I love to just submit for fun. It says, Walgreens photo printer, U.S. Navy SEAL. <laughs> <laughs> so good. <laughs> that's great. That's actually really awesome. You mentioned something uh, early when you first started uh, – that you were living in the moment and basically taking each task as it was presented to you. That's right. Um, is that something that you did prior to starting SEAL training, or is it something that you knew you, you that you had to adapt in order to survive? You just learn it. I think you just learn it there. So it wasn't something that you did when you were in high school? No, definitely not. No, there was no path, no regiment whatsoever. Um, until I got serious, then I was in the gym training, but honestly, I think SEAL training forces you into that that thought process because it's just honestly if you're truly in the 50 meter underwater swim one of the first evolutions and buds and you're already thinking about hell week Mm -hmm. and then you're thinking oh i have to go for five well here's the perfect story we start hell week out we're 45 minutes into hell week after breakout and we're getting ready to do surf torture it's at night it's dark water's 50 to 60 degrees it's probably in the low or yeah low yeah about low 50s and we're in our lock arms, we're sitting in the water, freezing our asses off, maybe five minutes in the water at the time. And the instructor gets on the megaphone and he says, dudes, you've only been into Hellwick for 45 minutes. Do you think you can keep this level of intensity up for the next five and a half days? And you just watch dudes just quit, like get up right then and there and quit. And so if I'm thinking about day five, right at that moment, yeah. I'm done. You know? So I think it forces you into this, okay, I'm just here. And as long as somebody's got this arm and this arm, I can stay here too. Mm-hmm. And it's, there's a little bit of that cockiness inside of you that says, okay, like, why can't I do it if he can do it? You know, what's makes him better than me? You're going to find out pretty quickly that there are people that are truly better than you in, in so many different regards, but can I be as good as them today? That's mm-hmm. all I cared about. And there's some guys that just show up because, you know, there's multiple reasons why guys show up, but there's only one group of guys that shows up for the reasons that make them get through. Sure. And uh, that's what SEALs are looking for. Did you ever lose anybody in any of the exercises, like completely, totally next to you, like adjacent, like you're locked in and then they were the ones to quit? To walk? Mm-hmm. Oh, several times. Several times. Yeah. And so did it, and that part, I would imagine then each time that happened successively, probably emboldened your position of that's just another one that's going, I'm here at this task. I'm going to complete this task. I couldn't, I just, so you don't even know everybody in your class when you okay. start, you know, it's 200 people. You start, you don't know anybody, you know, a few people. Mm-hmm. So people will quit before you even knew they were there and you won't even know them afterwards. Like I have no clue who started with us except for the ones who made it mm-hmm. and a few outliers who were just good dudes that 
um, you couldn't, you know, just didn't want to go through the full, the full measure profile, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. So they quit and I always wondered why, you know, I watched some of the finest athletes that I thought were just specimens quit first, a dude that was just humongous muscles. And you don't know what to balance this off of. Like, is this truly like a muscle thing or is this an athletic thing or is this a Midwest boy kind of corn fed dude thing? I don't know what type gets through this program because the instructors are all different shapes and sizes. Mm -hmm. So who's getting through? But I watched a guy who was my partner at the beginning day one who did 200 pushups in two minutes, 200 sit-ups in two minutes, like 45 dead hang pull-ups ran and swam super fast. And I was like, okay, if this is what it takes to get through this training, then I'm screwed. Check. He quit. We were on a swim just around a buoy. It was cold. He got really cold. We, let, we ran out of the water, and he immediately ran up to the bell and quit. I was just like, wow. I saw a guy who, he looks just like Lance Armstrong. And I had to go up to him and say, like, dude, what's your name? Because I'm like, tell me, this guy's not like Lance just coming to visit or whatever. <laughs> and this guy's a, tri, uh, he's a triathlete, like a pro triathlete. Day two, he quit. Hmm. And then she, this, uh, this guy, she's something, I can't remember. She, well, just this dude. He was huge, right? Big muscles. But he could move his muscles around. It wasn't just like, you know, he was just humongous. Quit. And he was the strongest guy in our boat crew. And we are doing an evolution that required strength. So it's just, it was, un, I couldn't fathom. At that point, I couldn't make up my mind anymore. I'm like, okay, there's just, there's no rhyme and reason physically mm -hmm. to why these guys will make it. It's here. Well, it's interesting you said that. You know, Andrew Huberman, mm -hmm. the, the neuroscientist, he, he in his lab, he studies he, his favorite thing is studying Navy SEALs because they have the unique ability to focus on the task at hand. Mm -hmm. And he said when he was interviewing them, it wasn't, I'm going to make it till, you know, five days. It's, I just have to get through this so that I can then, the meal is next. And yep. that's all it was, was just this, the next little thing, the next little thing. And eventually all those little hurdles end up becoming a career as a Navy SEAL. Yeah. You're putting your checks and balances in place and you're putting your little, uh, your, what do you call it? Your little finish lines yeah your little tiny mini finish lines and so you're like okay cool if i just get to this point this is the reward if i get to this point this is the reward shit if i get to this point i can just sit on my ass for one minute and possibly close my that's a reward i'm gonna <laughs> put that down too so you start to make that deal with yourself and then you got to think back when it starts to get really hard sometimes you just got to dig deep and say okay what's this all for and for me it was i'm gonna make that phone call to my parents oh so that's fantastic always i always say this to people now it's like Every day we're so good at making promises to everybody else. We've got a schedule. We've got to adhere to that for other people. When's the last time you made a promise to yourself and you kept it? So every day make it a point to circle back on yourself. That's super important. I have one last question about the past because this is obviously super intriguing to me. And I know it's going to be super intriguing to the listeners because that is an incredible path that so few people would ever take, would ever choose to take, volunteer to take and voluntarily stay in it. Um, Ryan Birdman Parrot. Why do they call you the Birdman? Mm, great question. First deployment, you are, uh, as a new guy, we call them new guys or FNGs. You can imagine if you just figure out that. <laughs> Go ahead and figure that one out for yourselves. So I was an FNG. Um, we were on an op. And, you know, you're, you're bomb proof, right? You're on a team and you've been training hard together and you're there doing the job now. So you're like, Nothing can happen to me, right? And then it does. So we were driving down Route Michigan on Iraq, in Iraq, and Route Michigan at that point in time was the most dangerous road in Iraq, just filled with IEDs, planted all the time. And 
it's kind of funny. It's Rock, Michigan. I'm from Michigan, so yeah, that's a fun one. <laughs> Driving back to base, and our vehicle was like the fourth or fifth car in the convoy, and we hit a roadside bomb, and it blew the. I mean, it just blew us up. It was bad, and I can't describe this because you know I can say like, okay, has anybody ridden a PBR bull? Well, for the few people that are listening that have ridden PBR bull, it's like that bull is just a lap dog. For everybody else who doesn't understand, I can't truly explain because it was, it happened faster than my body and my mind could comprehend what happened. But it was the most violent, powerful action that I've ever experienced in my life. And it was terrifying. It exploded right underneath us. It was a pressure plate IED or improvised explosive device. It was an anti-tank mine. So it blew the front end of our Hummer off and it ejected me straight out of the turret in the sky. And shrapnel through bodies it just spit through the cockpit flames first uh burned first and second degree i was the least of the injured in the vehicle because mm. i was checked the path of least resistance uh everybody you know that was in the vehicle got injured pretty bad and so we had to not only <laughs> everybody that we had to pat ourselves from being on fire and then we had to administer medical coverage to our guys who were there laying down on the ground next to the hummer and the worst card is because we were moving the vehicles in front of us had to stop and understand the situation and then get back to us. So we were kind of on our own. So now, even though we're injured, we had to render medical aid to others. And so it was a painful process, um, but, you know, we love each other. So we worked diligently as a team, very cohesive unit, and 22 minutes from the time we were blown up to the time that everybody was under the knife getting surgery and everybody lived. Wow. I get the nickname Birdman because you don't do a cool, you don't get a cool nickname unless you're truly like a hero, a legend. So because I went flying, I went, I got, I'm Birdman, right? It wasn't because of Parrot, it was because I went flying. So I'm the Birdman, which was cool because the other new guy in the platoon was Sandwich and I was Soup, Soup Sandwich. So I upgraded to Birdman. He stayed Sandwich. <laughs> I was like, fine, perfect. I'm in. And it stuck. You know, everybody's like Birdman. Oh, wow. Yeah. Jeez. So the rapper, the basketball player, Tony Hawk, you guys are cool, but you're not this cool. Jeez, man, that is that is an insane story. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's interesting to relive it for sure. Yeah, well, I definitely appreciate you reliving all this history because it's fascinating for everyone's li- you know listening and reliving something like that. And when people like me say, "Hey, can you tell that story about how you got blown up?" You're like, "Yeah, yeah, one more time, okay, great." But thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. But, but just to add, because I think that we may be going there, stories like that come with a consequence. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot that comes from you putting yourself in harm's way, and you even said that everyone made it, but not everyone does, and even those where everyone does make it, there's still an element of endurance and trauma that puts you into the next phase of life, just as you said, we made this part, we survived here, we got everyone to get medical attention, now what's the next task for us to take on and that at some point those little bitty nuggets they begin to add up <clears throat> regardless of what anyone's trauma is but that's y'all are dealing with that every day so this is the interesting point of, of that because that was 2005 so we knew nothing of post-traumatic stress we knew nothing of traumatic brain injury <clears throat> excuse me none of this stuff so i actually went undiagnosed with the traumatic brain injury for years and it's just, it's crazy, right? You think about all I wanted to do was be with my team. I wanted to get back. And so <laughs> they sent me home to do recovery, go to the hospital after we got injured. So I went home and I was pretty pissed off because every one of my platoon mates were still in Iraq, except for the guys who got injured. 
but I was the least of the injured and I was still able and capable of fighting. So I was like, I want to go back. And so when I'm back in San Diego, I kept pleading with our command. I was like, let me go back. Let me go back. And they're like, no, you can't. You're injured. You got to fix yourself. I'm like, do I look injured? Like, seriously? And I got burns on my face and, you know, burnt mustache that I can't shave off because it's burned. It looks crap and whatever. So they're like, well, yeah, you look, you don't look like you can go. And I'm like, I can go. They're like, no. But then they, I was like, there's got to be something we can do. And I was like, well, interesting. The platoon needs a qualification. They need a, a UAV pilot. And so unmanned aerial vehicles. Oh, so we don't have the call in the platoon. So if you, if we send you out to Arizona for two weeks to get the call, then we could ship you back overseas because apparently a qual supersedes an injury. So I went and got the qual and went back overseas, you know? And so then I became a UAV pilot, got overseas, brought this new plane with me. They're like, okay, let's see what it does. I threw it up. I crashed it. And that was the end of my career for flying planes. (laughs) 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 But I was back with the guys. <laughs> okay, great. that's awesome. Just like breaking dishes so you don't have to do them anymore. <laughs> I know. Don't call Birdman. <laughs> so then you get back with your guys, and then you're back into the flow of things, missions, etc. Yeah. So we used to do a thing called rips back then. So we ended up moving over to the Philippine Islands after that specific part of the deployment. And that gave me time to assess on, like, what did I want to do with the trajectory of my career next? Because I knew that I was obligated at least one more platoon mm-hmm. before I had to make a decision on, am I going to be an instructor or train or what am I going to do? And for me, I couldn't see anything else besides, like, I want to be at a team. I just want to be on the team. That's it. And so, but I wanted to become more of a, like, proficient operator on the team. Not just, like, one of the team members, but I wanted to have a significant role that would add value. So I raised my hand to go to sniper school. It's the toughest school we have. It's three months long. It's miserable. It's, I mean, it's stressful. It's so stressful because now you get to a point in your life where I got to pass. Like it is, it is inevitable. I have to pass. It doesn't matter if it's impossible. I got to pass it. It's just, and I don't want to go back to the command and them know that I failed. Mm -hmm. We don't fail. And so I wanted to go to sniper because the guy that I jumped on to fix up when we got blown up was our team lead sniper and uh, had a couple other friends that were mentors of mine that were snipers. And the other appeal to it was that one, it's the toughest school we have met um, in the SEAL teams. And then two, um, you get more, you get more guns, you get extra guns. So I'm like, cool, I'm in. And it was brutal. It was brutal. um, But I was very fortunate. I graduated sniper school and I've, seal sniper so get back to the platoon i got what i wanted i wanted to be more of a proficient operator and give this value to the platoon and so i would do that for the rest of my careers i'd be a sniper um i got to lead the platoon after that deployment i stayed in my eight years in the seal teams i stayed on an operational platoon 95 percent of the time mm. so i did everything i wanted in my career i was just you know very very blessed but it's cool to, uh, you know, you graduate sniper school, you get a suite of new weapons, and you're like, oh, so cool. Worth it. Yeah. Two days ago, I wasn't singing that story. I was like, oh, God, this is the worst, worst construction in the world, and it's great instruction, but it's hard. It's so hard. It's so demanding because you get, you only get a couple opportunities to make it. You know, like, you mess, you fail this shooting test, you get one other, one other chance. You fail this, you're out. That could be two and a half months into sniper school. Jeez. And you don't get the qual. So it's, and if you don't get that qual, then the platoon doesn't have the qual. So then they're going to have to go find another operator who has the qual 
maybe you don't stay on that platoon. I don't know. So there's just so many things that go through your head. We're just like, okay. So my buddy and I, before the final test, we ended up going out that night getting absolutely obliterated. And because we were drunk, the next day we showed up and we just didn't really care. Mm-hmm. Like we were sending the rounds down range, you know, like obviously there's an eight hour jigger to trigger thing where you're just like, don't drink eight hours. Jigger to trigger. Jigger to trigger. You know That's right. But and I'm saying I don't know that we made the exact time frame of the eight hours, but we were mellow for the shooting. And <laughs> as a result of that, he scored a 90, and I think I think we both scored a 90. He may have gotten 100, but we scored very high, and it was like, oh. So you know what we have to do every time now, right? <laughs> <laughs> Seven and a half hours, jigger to trigger. Yeah. That's right. So, exactly. So, it was good. You know, got to do the sniper thing. Got to take it overseas and actually use it. And then um, it was around 2009 that I started realizing that this stuff was starting to die down. The wars were starting to slow down. And I could start to see the politics really enter Mm -hmm. the special operations community to where it was like, what are we doing here? Are we here to fight or are we here for your agenda? Because I saw to fight. And that's what we do. We don't we don't keep peace. We fight. You know, we are a direct action team. We fight. So if we're not going to fight, I'm not going to sit here in this country. Be, be away from my family. Mm-hmm. So that's when I made the option saying, I'm going to go to be an instructor for a while. Just kind of reboot, dial it down a little bit. Um, and then um, I'd call over to the command. I said, how's it, has it changed? Anything changed? And like, no, it's about the same. And I was like, okay, cool. This is the time where I'm getting out. Because if I sign another reenlistment, then I got to stay in 20. So I got out before it became one of those things where I'm just doing it to get to my pension. And I was burned out at the point. I was like, I've, I've done what I wanted to do. Nobody's taken my brothers away from me. I will always have them, but I want to try and explore new things. And I think bringing this full circle is I think God leads us all to do what we want to do, or I mean, what we need to do, what we are on this earth to do. Sometimes it takes people like me a little bit longer to figure that out sometimes, but I truly believe that God had me get out of the service early to start doing things like helping the veteran returning home and really opening the doors to establishing establishing myself in the community and doing business so that when my brothers, my specific brothers that are getting out, I can give them a place, like a home to come work with, to do super cool things because everything we do is awesome. You know, we don't, we don't do the norm. We do high speed, incredible (coughs) We do high speed stuff. You good? I got the mute button. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we have mute buttons. <laughs> so it's also why I couldn't survive uh, Hell Week. <laughs> little fleck of sand, yeah, and I'm done. Could. But it'd be a little bit harder in sniper school. <coughs> like, oh, we hear him. <laughs> it's over. You see this bush shaking? Yeah. <laughs> so I think that it's just it's opened my doors to then when my guys are getting ready to get out and retire, we can give them a place and an opportunity to say, hey, come work with us because. You're going to be searching for meaning and purpose. You know, you can get a job anywhere. You just got to present yourself correctly and say, okay, yes, I can manage this budget. I can do this. But most importantly, what the hell do you want to do with your next life while you're here on this earth still? And for me, that's like you still got to do things with your brothers, your comrades. You still got to do cool stuff. But if you don't find the meaning and purpose by helping others, you're never going to be. Because that's essentially what we do. Even though we're doing high-speed stuff in the SEAL teams and we're cool, you know, it's like it's shooting guns and blowing stuff up and that's – it's pretty cool. 90% of the job is hard and it sucks. It's at night. It's freezing cold water. It's dark. There's sharks. Things go wrong. There's always problems. I mean, it's not always sexy. Okay. But 
those guys around you are what make it the best possible job out there. So how do we replicate that out of the service? Well, we do things to give back to those guys returning home. And that's where they, they lack and where we're getting them to. So by doing the things that we do, like Sons of the Flag, our charity, Bird's Eye View Project, our other charity, the Human Performance Project, these are all things to help elevate the veteran, the first responder, to get them back to homeostasis um, and to show them that we care and we love them. And then now jump on board and help us. So just... Uh- just to clarify real quick, all these different charities raise money, and then the money the, it goes to help the veterans that are coming out. Yep, Sons of the Flag is a charity, and that helps veteran. That helps all. doesn't matter what demographic you come from. If you're a burn survivor, that's specifically for burn survivors. Oh, wow, okay. And that's, yes, a charity. So all the money that we raise, we help burn patients out. Um, Bird's Eye View Project is a pass-through charity. So Sons of the Flag is programmatic. We're helping constant patients. We're hiring doctors to become burn surgeons in their residency. Fantastic. So we're doing fellowship programs for them. At Bird's Eye View, we want to be that epicenter to say, we're going to partner with all these different vetted causes that we know are legit, each one of them having a different um, purpose. And then we basically can fund all of them at the same time by doing epically cool events. If you go check out birdseyeviewproject.org, you'll be able to see some of the cool events that we do. You can actually join them. And that money goes to helping these causes. But if you take that person, that veteran, and drop them in the epicenter of Bird's Eye View Project, they have a plethora of organizations they can go to for mm. whatever their need is. Fantastic. Yeah. The Human Performance Project is a for-profit that will fund multiple causes. Um, and we did it that way so that this project's expensive, so we didn't want the charity to incur the cost or absorb that cost, and then we don't yield any money, and then we look defunct or we look like we're stealing. So. so the Human Performance Project is what I looked up. It it looks, honestly, like it's hyperbole. There's no way. This is insane. This is cartoonish. Explain what is going on with that. This is insane, to say the least. Yeah, so this all started, I guess, the first portion dating it back now. So about seven, eight years ago, I created this idea to skydive all seven continents it was actually to base jump all seven continents in seven days. Or no, it was just to base jump all seven continents uh, in, I think, a year or something like that. And at first when we created it, we're like, we're just going to do this as a fun thing for a couple of my buddies. You know, we've been doing a lot of hard work. This was kind of one where just me and a couple of base jumping buddies would go travel the world and we'll base jump. And it's fun. And we talked to a company and they're like, oh, it's a pretty notable company. And they're like, Ooh, we love this and your budget's low. So, yeah, we can support this. So we were going to do that. Well that company ended up having some issues right out of the gate. Like a couple weeks later, they fired a ton of people, didn't know what was going on with them. So we're like, all right, this isn't where we need to be. So we shelved the idea. So that's where the concept initially started was years ago doing action sports stuff and crazy stuff. From that point, 2019, I got a phone call from a teammate that my sniper partner, David R. Metcalf, killed himself. Oh, sorry. And that sent me completely ass over tea kettle because David was not only my teammate and he was not only my sniper partner, but he was my true North. He was all of our true North, our mentor. He was the one guy that you would guaranteed say, no way, not him, hmm. not even a thought. Like don't even think and consider that. Cause that dude's rock solid. And that's why you can't do that to anybody. That was a lesson I didn't want to learn that way, but this is where we're at right now. So because David, um, had some brain issues happening and nobody knew about it. Nobody. Um, and he left a note, which, you know, his wife talks about 
that explains where he was currently at at that moment when he realized he had, it was too far for him. Like he was too far gone. And so I asked myself right after that phone call, I said, what are we missing? Too many phone calls now, too many suicides. They did a study that there's over, there was just over 7,000 military members that were killed in combat and training since 9-11, 7,000 some. And there's over 30,000 have committed suicide post 9-11. Hmm. And so I look at that and I'm like, now, did every one of those soldiers have a TBI or post-traumatic stress, right? TBI. Did they have a traumatic brain injury to where you've got to identify saying, oh, that makes sense. No, I don't think so. But then look over at the fire service. They're taking their life at a cyclic rate and they're not getting traumatic brain injuries like we are. Mm -hmm. So there's more at play here. Yes, they see horrific traumas. They compartmentalize. They never pull it back out to deal with it. This is stress. What is it doing to the brain? Well, I'm no doctor, but I can tell you this. I'm not an idiot. So I think it's more of a combination of everything. We can't just look at one little section. We have to look at all sections. We have to look at physiology as a whole, saying, what are we missing here? Because we go back to what I talked about. We're really good at breaking that service member over a career, asking them to continually do these relentless jobs. And where's the reboot out of each one of those scenarios? It's not there. So if you break down your physiology over time, if you shit can your stomach, your gut, your hormone levels, your cortisol levels, if you just bust it up all head to toe, well, of course your brain's going to start failing you. Yeah. Okay, so if it's a physiology or a physiological thing that's starting because my brain was fine when I entered the service and my body was fine when I entered the service and everything went to shit when I got out. So I threw this question to a doctor, a friend of mine, who's also a scientist, and I said, hey, you're an MD, PhD, so you're kind of smart. What do you think about this theory? Is it just brain or is it physiological? All components. Because I don't just consider brain as its own element. I say it's physiology. It's part of your body. So let's focus on all of this and obviously bringing in subject matter experts. So he's like, yes, you're absolutely right. If your whole systems are messed up, then everything is going to be out of whack. So I said, well, that's exactly what's happening here. Like, I don't need to be a scientist to know that. I can see what I've gone through and I can see what other guys have gone through. So that's what it is here. And my goal here is this. I'm not saying that we're going to solve veteran or first responder or suicide in general. That's not the game or the goal of this project. The goal of this project is to bend the curve on that, mm -hmm. to eliminate that from people who are physiologically destroyed by rebooting them and getting them back to homeostasis. Teaching them how to do it, though, the right way. Because right now, when this is the be a beautiful question that one of my teammates, Alex, said. When, you are, when you're too far gone and you realize that you're in deep trouble and you go to look for answers, that's too late to do that. Where do you go? You call the VA or do you go online? And when you go online, what rabbit hole are you going to go down? How do you know what's real and what's not? Everybody has the greatest marketing team in the world now. So how do I know that I'm going down the right path? How do I know that I, this is exactly what I need? And you don't, especially when you're so far gone or you're struggling that bad. That's the last thing you want to do. I open up Google. I type in humor performance. Oh, my God. Screw this. I exit that. Now I'm even worse because I have no hope. We can't have this anymore. And I'm not talking about biohacking. I'm not talking about doing like high level stuff. Ben Greenfield, I did his podcast. He's an incredibly smart guy. And he said it perfectly. He goes, 
it's not about building the house. It's about building the foundation. We're going to help people get back to that foundational level. And then you can choose whatever house you want to put on it. Yeah. That's it. Homeostasis. Let's get you back to being a kid and you can choose how you want to take it from there. In that way, you can at least always revert back to that. And that doesn't just work for an apply for military first responder. This is everybody. This is for kids. Oh, 100%. It's basically what we talk about on the podcast all the time. I mean, you can think about all these really cool things over here, but really you're going to get 80% of your performance from this 20% building the foundation. And that's, we talk about that proper nutrition, sleep, those kind of things. So everything you're talking about right on par with everything that I tell my patients, let alone, you don't have to go through that kind of stuff. But the fact that people served our country and have these, you know, the PTSD, TBIs, whatever, and they don't know where to turn. I mean, I really commend you for developing this program to embrace these people and say, don't worry about it. We're going to handle it. We're going to make sure that you have the foundation. That's right. Well, so what did I need to do from that point? Because I'm like, okay, now it gets into the real science and stuff. So that's where I'm like way over my head. I mean, I told you early on that I was a scholar, right? You know, academically inclined and was doing well in school. Absolutely not. Well, dude, so. I mean, a Walgreens photo place. I they, mean, very few people get accepted for that. I, you're I the know. first one I know. I know. Yeah. I know. I got, I should put that in my qualifications list for sure. <laughs> you know, like this, <laughs> I should go to Walgreens and ask him for a cert. <laughs> I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. Am I an alum? Do I, am I an alum? <laughs> you're going to have those plaques. Should I put the sniper or the Walgreens there? <laughs> what kind there? of discount do we get? You know, <laughs> do I still have like a 401k or something? I don't know. <laughs> so I had to develop a team. Because the only way you win any kind of war is with the team, right? So I've never done anything on my own and been hyper successful at it. But when I'm with a team, we just auto crush it. I mean, we duplicate and we just crush it. So I can find subject matter experts in fields. I mean, it's not hard with everybody that's got their own, you know, social media following today or they've got books out or whatever. I can find those experts, but is it the right expert? And the right expert for me is, Yes, you got to have the background and the knowledge, but you have to be a good person. You have to have a good attitude. Yes. That was the one thing for me with this team that we I hand-selected. There's 35 people on the team that are going with us, but there's probably 50 to 60 people on the team across the world that are helping us with this. And their attitude was everything. The reason I said their attitude had to be good is because nobody wants to work with a shithead. No, that's number one. But two, there's going to be times during this project where it's going to suck. And... You go back to anything that sucked in your life, you sure could use somebody that's right next to you. It's like, it's going to be good. It's all good. Check next. Right? Check next. So good. And we had that in SEAL training. Sometimes there was a guy when I was in Hell Wake, I'd look at him and he'd, no matter how miserable it is, he just he was so excited to be accepted <laughs> into SEAL training. He was just like, hell yeah, bro. And I'm like, gosh, like that is amazing right there. But just you're like, whatever, dude, shut. Okay. That was pretty cool. You know? And you just look at him again. You're like, that's not so bad. Yeah. That's a good attitude. And just, so that breeds good attitude. Yeah. So I went and started hand selecting these people and each one of them, I had the conversation. This is what it is. This is what we're doing. What we're going to attempt to do, because I have no clue if this is going to be successful or not. And I want to state one thing. We are not creating something that doesn't exist. Everything out there for the baseline of your human physiology is out there. But again, we don't want you to get to that point where you've now realized that you're too far gone and you have to find that place and you go Google or you go look at books and you're not sure what supplement in GNC or whatever it is. This is your baseline book that gives you a template that's user-friendly and easy to apply 
to somebody who needs to just start day one. And the reason we're developing or the, and how we're developing that is we're creating this manual for a 14 year old kid, because if it's easy enough for a 14 year old kid to digest, then it's easy enough for a veteran to digest. Cause we're manual centric. We like things easy. We like things in short condensed versions where it's, it's, um, I can wet my appetite and I can slowly get into it. I don't want to cram things down people's throats. So it's going to be bite-sized sections from subject matter experts on here's it. Here's what you need. Eat, sleep, move. These things that are important. Um, so it's physical, it's mental, it's emotional, it's spiritual, everything. One of the big things is our team Christianity is a big thing for me. It's a big thing for our team. And so we're actually putting a chapter in there on Christianity. It's one of those things we believe that is being starting, it's starting to be suppressed and it's not being talked about enough. And it's like, well, I've met a lot of people in the military who it's like, Hey, you believe it. And they're like, uh, yeah, kind of, I guess. And it's like, well, okay, fair enough. And it's not for me to just slam it down their throat. But I want to have the information as to, okay, I'm interested in learning more because now it's time. Like I've never met anybody inside a foxhole and call out the God wants. Right? <laughs> Why do we do that? As opposed to anything like, dude, help me. No, it's help me, you know? So there's something there. Now I want to explore more. I need the first step again, basics. So we're going to give the first step on you want to walk with, you want to walk with the Lord. You want to get to the kingdom. Here's the simple steps to start your process. We're not giving you the Bible. We're giving you the beginning process. So that's what this is. The manual is going to be called the Metcalf manual. David Metcalf was my teammate's name. His name is always going to be out there um, because this is all because of him. And so for a 14-year-old kid to be able to pick up a copy of that manual and start getting into football or sports or whatever, doing it the right way with correct exercise, correct diet, correct supplementation, why is sleep so important? What does meditation do for you and your stress levels? course you're a football player you love to get hard during the day you know you got a test coming up and you got to pass that test or you're sitting on the bench you're stressed out how can i slow that down a little bit what are the proper tech because i've seen kids today and these kids are not kids anymore they're 16 years old they're 280 pounds and they're five or six foot five and i'm like that's not a kid that's a damn man and they're 16 okay let's treat them like men then let's treat women like adults let's show them this is the simplicity to the rest of your life and then what do you want to do from here but if you get off course, you can always come back. And here it is. So we're going to, we're training all year long. We have test subjects. We have a bunch of scientists around us that are looking at our data. We're partnered with multiple different organizations that are health and wellness related that have been, you know, the due diligence has been done. These are clean, effective companies that are doing good work. And we're training all year long to get our asses kicked next year. So we're building ourselves up to a level of fitness that we can then go and challenge ourselves. And then next year in February, we're going to deploy. It's called 7X, the deployment, where we will absolutely break ourselves. And the reason that we're going to break ourselves is so that we have to get back to homeostasis. <laughs> so it forces us into that, having to follow the template of what we're building for everybody else. So we're not the experts, we're the end users. And so it shows effect. And then we can take that, put it in the manual, and then deploy the manual around the world to people who want it, and 100% of the net proceeds of that manual go to charity. Would you explain how you're going to break yourself? You bet. So 7X stands for not because I was at SEAL Team 7, even though it was so rad. <laughs> and by the way, the best team ever, like just so you know. Um, 7X stands for seven skydiver base jumps, seven marathons, seven swims in the water, on seven continents in seven days. So that's why I said I read it and it seemed comical. And I'm like, oh, he's serious. Oh, 
this is really going to happen. And we have a test week right now, and so I'm 53 miles into this week of running. So we had a half marathon every day this week. It's been just awesome. And I'm, okay, I'm not a runner, right? I'm not that kind of a runner, so this is difficult. And this is, that's not even halfway of what we're going to be doing. So if it's brutal now, it's going to be just an absolute ass kicker. So the logistics of this project has been just crazy. And so, you know, I hired a Green Beret to come in and work tandem with me. So I'm handling the finance side of the house, you know, making sure that we're funded. He's handling the logistics side of the piece. We've deployed a team of Green Berets around the world Mm -hmm. to go do site surveys, connect with the locals, get everything we need established in each location. It's just been awesome. We've got people from multiple different military and governmental sectors that are helping us open doors so that we can get everything accomplished. Because remember, we're doing this 2022 into 2023. COVID is still out there, so there's still all kinds of stuff going on with that. So just traveling in and out of each country with a package of people, it's not easy on that front, let alone everything else, and this has never been done. But the reason we're doing it is for twofold. One, we want it to be so hard that it breaks us so then we have to force ourselves in homeostasis again. Number two, who cares? If we did this in five states or five cities, nobody cares. People right. forget quickly. But if we did it so gnarly, people are like, I have to tune in because I think the majority of people around the world want to root for their vets. Yeah. And we want to give and we want to give them that opportunity. And this is gonna be like a documentary. Oh, you yeah. have a film crew and everything. The documentary is going to be science-backed again. It's going to be talked about. All our subject matter experts are going to talk about the relevance of what we're doing. So this is not a glorification film that's like, whoa, these cool Green Berets and uh, SEALs and special ops guys are going around the world with these world-class athletes and having fun. No, this this is what is happening. This is what's happening to his physiology. This is where he needs to do this supplementation. There's just so many things to it, so it makes sense to why things are happening. And we consider the documentary the marketing arm for the manual. That's so cool. Just a couple of logistical questions. How many people do you think will be in the group total that will begin? Uh, who's doing the actual test mm-hmm. testing with us? Mm-hmm. There's seven. Seven people. And then um, in order to make the most of your time, are y'all starting like uh, in the furthest part east of the world so that you can migrate to the west and get the, get the longest part of the day? So I have chosen a route from what I've been told by, so our buddy Abe, who's on our team, he used to run like Red Bull Air for like 15 years or something and bought a bunch of other hats at Red Bull. And mm-hmm. now he owns his own uh, company called Aviate Management. And so he's an air guy, does everything with airplanes. And I told him the route and he's just like, it couldn't be worse. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Sounds good. So thanks for the high school education. So I was like, okay, so I don't want to change it. And he's like, we're not changing it then. So it's not ideal. Mm. Um, it's not for, but this is not for a world record either. Who cares? Like that's real relevance, you know, it's just pointless. So for me, it was like, how do we get to this location, this location? And all based off of weather. Antarctica is the hardest place. Mm-hmm. It's always where you got to start. Cause it's just, the winds are nasty. It's cold. They have a short window of their summer. So that had to be the, be- the beginning factor is like, okay, how do we do this and accomplish this within seven days? And so Antarctica starts, and then we go from Antarctica to Australia, to Dubai, to Cairo, to London, to Cartagena, and then to Florida. And so that's insane. Fifty-five plus hours on an airplane, up and down, swelling. Do we hydrate with IVs to and from? There's just so many 
questions that still need to be answered that nobody knows because this hasn't been done. So that's part of the fruit of this thing is it's not like, oh, we can lay everything out and we can solve for it. Some of these things are going to be figured out on the fly. We are talking about Antarctica when we go to do the swim out there. You're talking about cold, cold water coming out of a marathon when your body core temperature is at a high level. So if you jump in immediately, you're going to go into shock. So what do we do? Well, we start taking clothes off to start lowering core temperature, get closer to the water. As we get there, we take all our clothes off, but our tri shorts, and then we put our extremities up in the air to let it all come back to the source and then tourniquet your arms and legs off to keep all your there and then hop in the water so you don't pass out. So these types of things are things that we have to consider before doing so, so that we can have a good outcome. So yeah, we're looking at the minute level of things because that's what we do. I mean, that's how you do a surgical operation. That's how you do a, a strike on a house or whatever it is. You have to look at all mm -hmm. the ingredients of the knowns and then you got to try to solve for the unknowns. Yeah, and hope is not a plan. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah. And so we finished 7X, we come back um, late February and then we're diving, we're already pre-starting the manual with the basics. And then we're going to finish off the manual solve for two, one being homeostasis. How do you achieve it starting out? Number two, how do you reboot the system once fractured? So we'll have the beginning phase of it created by the time we arrive back. And then we can fully focus on the next six months of recovery for us getting to homeostasis and taking all that data and putting it in the manual. Close shot, push it out to the world. Wow. That's awesome. Talk about walking the walk. Yeah. Holy cow. That is amazing. That's even that's even more incredible than what you can pick up on the uh on the website. Holy yeah. cow. Yeah, yeah. We gotta do a reboot on the website. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't. Yeah. 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 That, that's that is just an impressive number one, it's an awesome goal. But I love the fact that you've got all of the buy in from everybody else who wants to do it and it's just it's a purpose that means a lot to everybody who wants to do that. Uh I I don't know. I just don't have a whole lot to add. That's an amazing story. Yeah, that is incredible. So how, what can our audience do to help you accomplish this goal? Sure. This, I mean, so one, go like our social media pages, 7x.project. Um, please push that out. Um, we need followers because it's not for our deal. We're not pushing out silly stuff. So kids can come and watch this stuff. They can follow it as well. We want more children involved. Nobody seems to ask for kids these days to come follow their following. And I can understand why, but for us, that's what we're looking for too. So it's all ages. Like if you care about your health and wellness, come follow our page. If you want your kids to really get an understanding of what health and wellness looks like and give them a team to root for, we're a team that's never going to disappoint you. We're never going to kneel for the flag or any of that stuff. So that's super important. Um, 7x.project. 7x.project. Okay. And you can go to americanextreme.com to check out the website. Um, Two things that we're looking for right now. One, if you are cons if you are interested in going with us, we are selling seats on the plane. We have 30 seats available. We've sold 18 of the seats already, so we still have 12 seats left. Yeah. They're not cheap, per se, but still 12 seats left. So if you're interested in that, please email us, or you can do ryan at americanextreme.com um, and hit me up, and we'll talk about it. For those of you who cannot afford an expensive seat, um, we are getting ready to open up a chance for you to invest in tickets uh, that will be a global raffle or a, a national raffle for that matter. And it's all done by third party. So it's not like I'm choosing my friend to come with me. We won't know who that person is until that raffle uh, draws the winning number 
and then we'll go live to tell everybody who it is, or that system will tell everybody who it is. And that person will go on this trip with us. What does that mean exactly? Whether you buy a trip or you win the trip, you go with the team. You don't have to do all the marathons and the skydives and all that stuff. You're not going to, you can run a, uh, a one mile on each continent or a 5k. You can be a part of this. You can do the plunges with us. You do get a tandem skydive over the pyramids of Giza. <laughs> and you get to do the most insane VIP things that we have designed on each continent. I'm kidding you not. I can't explain it to you because we're still in the mission planning right now of everything. But let me tell you right now, like, it is just absolutely unbelievable what you're going to be able to do on each continent. Um, and then the goal for us with our VIPs was to say, like, you come with us. Next week when you're back home, your friend asked you what you did last week. You don't even know where to begin, and you can't answer that question. That's what we're going for, and that's what we're going to do for you. So we are selling seats, and we're also going to open up the raffle uh, here shortly so that you all can go to American Extreme and buy your raffle tickets and win the trip of a lifetime. Share it, and share it with kids, and tell them to spread the message because it's time to educate everybody on just the basics of life again. If you're only listening, then you can go to gutcheckproject.com, look up this episode, which is number 86, and in the show notes, all of the links uh, to everything that uh, Birdman is referencing will be available so that you can, number one, spread the word and participate yourself. Uh, everything will be directly right there. That's, uh, that's awesome. It's incredible. I'm blown away that 18 people have already bought seats. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's I heard incredible. it was 20. I heard you guys were behind seats. Well, I mean, that's what I'm thinking. Do you, you know what? I was telling Eric, I'm like, I am so in. And then this whole thing about running and then having to take my clothes off in Antarctica and tying off my hands so that I can, I just, I'm like, yeah, maybe I'll give you the seat. Yeah, but I'll think about it. this. Think about this, though. It's like that's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to do something with your comrades because you're not, when you go on a trip like this, you become family. You're part of the tribe. You will never be able to walk away from So that. I literally, I'm going to make sure because I actually have a friend who is at a stage in his life where he is basically, each trip gets more and more and more. And I just saw him, he's a radiation oncologist, he goes with his daughter, and he was showing me, they keep getting more extreme. I am so gonna find him, and I literally think him and his daughter would buy seats on this, because that's the kind of shit that they're doing now. They just keep getting more extreme, because he's like, this is the stage in life he's at. He's like, I've gotten to this point in life, it's like me and my daughter are pushing the extremes, they're doing, Antarctica, they've done Antarctica and all that other stuff. I literally think he's going to do this. You know who you are, Jeff. I'm coming after you on this one. <laughs> and before we get we get one of the funnier uh, viewers to send in a question, y'all do not convert Southwest points. <laughs> we don't get free freaking flyer miles for this, okay. but stamps in the passport are cool. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Do the do you honor the free drink coupons from Southwest at so least? So even though we're about human performance, we're also about like uh, normalcy too. So for those who will not be participating as test subjects, yes, there will be a bar on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> that is okay. Uh, this is definitely one of the coolest shows that we've ever done, yeah. and I feel so honored that Dude. you are sharing this with us. Yeah, Thank you so much. One of the coolest. Uh, Surprises ever. Thanks yeah. a lot, Ryan, for Thank you. coming and hanging out. Thanks for the opportunity. Incredible. So, uh, if you're catching the tail end of this, start from the very beginning because this is one of the most inspirational people I've ever met. And he doesn't stop. They are doing incredible things, and everything is to give back to our veterans. I'm impressed, and I'm feeling like I, like you and I need to get some tickets on this on this whole thing. Yeah. Um, it, if you've never liked and shared any episode before, please start with this one. 86, and like I said, if you're listening, like most of you do, 
please go to gutcheckproject.com. Show notes of uh, episode number 86 will have all of the links that the Birdman has shared with us today so that you can share the information with everyone and keep this, this charity, this scope, this vision available for those who just simply need it. And um, I think it's, man, that's awesome. Yeah. So Thank you so much, Ryan. Yeah, really appreciate thank it. Thank you. Appreciate you spreading the word. Well, that'll do it for episode 86. I want to thank Mr. Ryan Birdman Parrot for joining us. He's laughing because I screwed up his last name earlier, but that's okay. We <laughs> cut that part out. <laughs> but uh, but uh, anything that you'd like to add here at the end? Well, just follow us and uh, appreciate you guys uh, always supporting. I know that I can tell you this right now. So these two wars, Iraq and Afghanistan, you have truly shown our veteran community the love that we didn't show in Vietnam to the guys returning home. So we're truly grateful for that love, but don't ever forget that the fire service and the police need it too. Our federal and civil services need it. Um, and if you do see an older veteran, make sure to go up to him and say, uh, thanks for your service. Awesome. Ken. No, that's good. Right. Episode 86. What an honor to even meet people like you. Thank you. That's a wrap for this episode of The Gut Check Project, and we appreciate you for being a part of it. Be sure to follow us on your favorite platform for podcasts. You can find the GCP on Locals, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Rumble, and more. And you can always check out gutcheckproject.com to find all episodes and interact with the show. Tell your friends and family not to wait to get Gut Checked.